0: 20-something years later, and that music still gives me chills up and down my spine. Greetings and salutations, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Pod is War, special edition. I'm Mr. Velvet Pipes, Christopher Platt, along with the commissioner, PC Tunney, and we are here to break down episodes one and two of The Last Dance, the ESPN 30 for 30 documentary that premiered last evening, chronicling the final season of of the Chicago Bulls, led by Phil Jackson, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, and, of course, Michael Jeffrey Jordan. We're going to make a thing out of this. We're going to come back every Monday, and we're going to review the episodes that they showed the previous evening, give our thoughts, opinions, and analysis, because, hell, it's the closest thing we got going on to sports right now. So, Mr. Tunney, how are you, sir?
1: I'm doing well. I'm I'm thrilled to be talking about this. I have the same sentiments as you do, and it's funny only one of those people you listed that we're talking about from the bulls we mentioned in three names right i mean there's michael jeffrey jordan there's kobe bean bryant around here there's brett lorenzo farve um so you got to be special to be called <laughs> you can have your middle name thrown out there when people talk about you but i'm i'm thrilled i watched it this morning i um, you and I are huge NBA fans. You and I are the same age. We were the same we, we grew we were in the middle of high school when Jordan was just going crazy coming out of grade school too. So it was just an amazing time as we were growing up as trying to be basketball players ourselves.
0: Exactly, man. There's so many parallels between you and I were you get, again, we're the same age. We both grew up in the Midwest. We were both uh, basketball players in high school and It's funny, man, looking back now, I don't know if you can really fully explain to somebody that didn't live through it the whole Michael Jordan experience. How would you describe that to somebody that's only seen clips and highlights and and heard legends?
1: Well, think about being an NFL fan and think about the team that you tune in to watch every Sunday. That's what we did as Michael Jordan fans once February hit. After football was over, every Sunday on NBC was a Chicago Bulls game against every team around the league got their turn on TV with Michael Jordan. The only time I rooted against them is I was a David Robinson fan when they played the Spurs, but they probably whooped their ass back in the day too. But, you know, you just look forward to him going to play. It was funny one of the clips in the in the show was two little kids and they're like at the game and they it's Christmas and they go how did you get the tickets and they go we got them for Christmas. Our parents said we can have presents under the tree or go to a Bulls game and see Michael Jordan. And we chose the Bulls game. So there you go.
0: These kids chose Jordan over presents. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And that, that was just a one-time thing. I mean, obviously, it was a lifetime experience that they're probably still talking about. And they got on the documentary, so good for them. But <laughs> but that's just, yeah. I mean, Jordan was the man. The only thing that I could possibly compare it to is because, you know, we came of the, the Jordan era – you know, our uncles and, and fathers, Dr. J was their man. That was their Jordan. I, I think that's really the only app comparison I could make.
1: As far as a basketball player goes, yeah, possibly you could kind of see the, how that there was such a following for such a spectacular player like that. But I think Michael Wilbon said it best. I don't know if it was in this episode. I think it was. And it was part of the previews for it. Once Jordan had won that fifth championship, there was no one else like him except you have to go back to Babe Ruth and Muhammad Ali. Like he, they, they show the part of, I think, episode one here, they go to France, and it's all about Jordan. Everywhere he went, it was all about Jordan, right? Like they went and played, the Dream Team went and played, and I don't know if this is going to, they're going to flash back to that or not, but I think they beat guys by 50, and these guys would post for pictures and ask for autographs after they got their ass kicked by the U.S. team. And it was all for Jordan.
0: Touche, touche. That was weird to watch that. Yeah, they beat their ass by 50 and then they're shaking hands and getting autographs and having everybody sign their jerseys and whatnot. Yeah, it was a it was a spectacle, man. It was like the Beatles were in town.
1: And that's like it was everywhere he went, no matter what it was. It's crazy. I mean, luckily, the guy liked to play golf so he could actually get out somewhere and get away from people <laughs> because you can go to a country club where if you're not a member or you're not allowed to be there, no matter what race, religion, or whatever you are, you're not member, you're not there. Jordan could have some solace in some place like that. But let's start from the beginning, right? Michael Jordan. This whole thing is Michael Jordan. None of this would be talked about if it wasn't Michael Jordan's team. He's the man. Even though Scottie Pippen is so great, it's still Michael Jordan's team, right? So he gets cut going out for varsity his sophomore year. That's kind of where this all begins, right?
0: That's where the legend starts, yes, sir. So he gets cut. Obviously, he's a little disappointed. And it's funny, him and Scotty's uh, upbringing was, well, their their rise was very similar. You know, where Scotty, he was the uh, well, we're talking about George. But uh, yeah, he gets cut. He goes back, works his ass off. And then he also grows over the summer. And Scotty had that same trajectory just in high school as well. And he comes back and yeah, it's undeniable. He's the legend is building. And it also I also liked how he talked a little bit about, you know, his upbringing, about how hard his father was on him and, and going hard at his brothers. And that's what kind of helped to uh, like that competitive fire within him that hell probably still drives him to this day.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely sibling rivalries seem to, to be a, a common denominator with a lot of athletes that have siblings. They always talk about how it pushed them to be better. Right. Like Jordan got in fights with his brother. Jordan got in fights with his teammates. I'm sure that's going to be on here at some point. Oh, Steve,
0: yeah. Him and Steve
1: Kerr used to go at it. And it's funny, I had two guys on my team in high school that did that too. And they were both shooting guards. I don't know, maybe it's a shooting guard thing. I, I couldn't tell you. But <laughs> the, it's it's just interesting that he was so driven and you can see that from an early age. And then once he would make the next step, everything we're about to talk about on Jordan, every time he was on a new team, everyone would say, after two weeks, we knew who the best player was. They said that his junior year in high school They said that when he went to North Carolina. They said that when he came to the Chicago Bulls. Two weeks. That's all it took for him to work harder than you and figure out what you were doing and do it better. And he was already more skilled athletically than anyone had ever been in the history of the fucking world.
0: Yeah, and the guy that said that on his college team was James Worthy, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, who is a Hall of Fame player in his own right. Like, James ain't no scrub, but... For him to be able to say something like that, that shows you, especially you know how athletes are—they never want to give it up to anybody. But just for him to be able to say that, that shows you the type of individual that we're dealing with, and just from a, a psychological profile, Jordan's fascinating. He, he's got to be America's most beloved sociopath. I mean, you know I me. Mean? <laughs> I mean, he's legitimately cuckoo for Cocoa puffs, but we love the guy. And to hear him in his own setting with the – he got his drink and his cigars and just breaking everything down from his perspective, it's fascinating.
1: Yeah, he's, he's polarizing. People listen when he talks. It, it goes back to when he goes around the world and people follow him. You know, he's like the Beatles. He's the sports. He's the Beatles of sports, if you will. Tiger Woods kind of has the same thing now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, LeBron James just globally polarizing. But it's funny you mentioned the people he had at North Carolina, right? So he leaves high school, he's hugely recruited, he goes to North Carolina, one of the best programs, one of the best coaches. And not only Dean Smith is there, but it's Roy Williams, right? And it's an older James Worthy who he gets to learn from all these people who are all Hall of Famers in in and of themselves. So it's not like once he left high school, he didn't he he had a pretty good place to learn and become Michael Jordan, if you will, after he made that shot. Before that, he was just Mike Jordan.
0: <laughs> just Mike Jordan, country bumpkin from North Carolina, probably walked around campus barefoot. <laughs> but Dean Smith had one of the lines of the of the whole, of both episodes, I thought, when they talked about, well, I don't even know if he said, but he talked about how Jordan came to him after his junior year and was set to come back to school and Dean told him, no, you, you know, you, there's no more you can learn here. It's time for you to go to the next level. How many college coaches would do that for one of their players? You know what I mean? Like he legitimately had Jordan's best interest in mind. You don't see that a lot with college coaches. I guess that's why Dean Smith is so revered, though, because from all accounts, he was a really good dude.
1: Dean Smith never wanted anybody to average 20 points a game. And he knew if Jordan came back, he was going to average 60 a game in college. So he sent him off to to the NBA. (laughs) (laughs) Could you imagine how many points could you imagine if he would have let the let the, you know, put push full, let him go full throttle in college his senior year and he came back. Do you imagine how many points Jordan would have scored that year?
0: That's a kind of an old saying or old joke in basketball. They say the only person that was ever able to stop Jordan was Dean Smith. <laughs> right. Exactly.
1: Exactly. So he goes to the Bulls, and it's funny, the whole draft thing, right? And now we get to see the unbelievable dysfunction of the two Jerrys running the Chicago Bulls, right? Um, Reinsdorf, the owner, correct? And Kraus, the general manager? Mm-hmm. Now Reinsdorf prefaces hiring Kraus with no one liked him. Like, oh great start. <laughs> great start. I want a general manager that no one likes so that he can't ever work with anybody. That's perfect. Excellent. Love the logic there. Listen, there's gonna be a lot of logic, if you will, in air quotes, folks, as we head down the Chicago Bulls management thinking as we go over these first two episodes. And so it's Hakeem Olajuwon. it's Sam Bowie, it's Michael Jordan. They have, bulls have the third pick. Portland's in front of them, and Houston's in front of them. Everyone knows that Elijah Wan is going to Houston, and at this time, it's 1984. The 84 draft, you yep. needed a center. A center won you championships in the NBA, right? Even Magic Johnson was winning with uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Dr. J was winning with Daryl Dawkins. Larry Bird was winning with. Robert Parrish. So you had to have a center, right? And Ewing is coming out next year, right? I believe the next year Ewing had one more year in college after yeah. Jordan left. So they're thinking, boy, oh, boy, if Jordan was seven feet, we would have loved it, but we took him anyway third. And that's kind of what they said, too, publicly. So I've told you this story, and I'll shut up, and, and, and you can give your thoughts on that whole draft situation. But I, I think I've even told you this. And this is my first favorite story, and I'm wondering if it's not true because I think they should have been in the documentary, is – Before the draft, Bob Knight had already had Jordan in for workouts for the Olympic team, which was going to be that summer, which Jordan dominated. And he knew how good Jordan was. So Jack Ramsey, a friend of his who ran Portland, called Bob Knight and said, what should I do? I got Clyde Drexler. I need a center, right? And Bob Knight goes, well, then play him at center. Draft Jordan and play him at center.
0: There you go. High praise. Yeah. Yeah. High praise. And that that was my other uh, line of the night as well. In that documentary, they interviewed Bobby Knight talking about that time that he was playing for the Olympics in 84 that summer. And Bobby Knight literally said he is the best basketball player I've ever seen. And if that's Bobby Knight saying it, he's another cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs guy. But who knows basketball better than Bobby Knight? So for him to say something about that, about a guy that's never even stepped on a pro court, that lets you know or that should have let you know what we were dealing with here.
1: Yeah, I mean, getting a compliment unprovoked from Bob Knight is, you know, like hearing the the Pope fart or something like that. I mean, it just doesn't happen. (laughs) So, you know, it's funny. I he
0: loved him too because.
1: All right, I I said pre-show that I would say one negative thing, and I don't know if this is negative or not, but it's the same thing that I said about the Ric Flair documentary. And we'll get back into the flow of the documentary and keep talking about and commenting on the rest of it. But I knew all of this already. Now, is that maybe because I'm a super NBA fan and I was a super Jordan fan back in the day? I can even text you a picture from when I was, like, 13. I have a Michael Jordan shirt on. I have a Chicago Bulls hat with the leather brim. And I also have uh, Chicago Bulls Zubas on. So I'll put that up on Twitter for all you folks, okay? I'll put that up on Twitter. But that's how big of a Jordan fan I was. But I knew all this already. Like the Ric Flair documentary. I thought it was really well done, but, like, I already knew all this. I'm waiting for stuff that I don't know, and I haven't heard any of it yet, Platt. That's my one gripe.
0: That's fair, because, yeah, a lot of this stuff I already knew as well. Uh, the parts that I did find most amusing, I liked the Dean Smith comment, the Bobby Knight comment, and the um, just Jordan telling his story in his own words. I think that's the big thing, because he's been a bit of a recluse the past few years. He hasn't really sat down and, and done a lot of interviews, so just getting his take on things and his Just getting inside of the mind of a madman or or a genius, which, you know, there's a thin line right there. That's the fascinating part for me. And, you know, some of the funnier moments, like the the story that he told about his rookie year in Peoria, Illinois, birthplace of Amber. And literally the whole team's snorting coke, getting high, messing with hookers. And he just turns right back around and says, yeah, I'm I'm good. (laughs) Yeah, y'all have fun. No wonder you suck.
1: When Michael Jordan came to the Bulls, they were known as the uh, Traveling Cocaine Circus. (laughs) that was in the documentary and Jordan just laughs and slaps his knee and he tells that story where he was knocking on doors to find everybody and when he found the room they were in everyone went shh and he goes it's MJ and they're like oh it's the rookie let him in and Jordan goes yep there were lines over here there were your pot smokers over here and your women were over here and I took one look around and thought if this place gets raided everybody's getting busted and he got out of there you know I, I don't I I believe him when he was so unbelievably determined to be a winner and to be the best basketball player of all time that I believe that he wasn't really looking for trouble like that. Now, I know he had his fair share of women along the way, uh, from what I've heard, allegedly. uh, But as far as the drugs and everything else, I don't think that was really him.
0: No, that wasn't his bag. He even says in the doc at the time, he he says, "I, I didn't drink at the time. Like he just you're, you're right. He, he was singular focused on singularly focused on being the best he possibly could be. And he didn't really have time for any of that stuff. He just had tunnel tunnel vision, which there is something that we could all learn from that. That just that that singular focus to be the best at whatever it is that you're doing and you see how far it got him. So there's something to be gleaned from that. If you could leave the uh, sociopath part of it to the side. But I don't know. Maybe you can't, man. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of crazy Mellon farmers that have you know accomplished great things.
1: So the Bulls end up, um, they, they were down in a game and and everybody started to get their heads down. This was his rookie year and Jordan brings him back and he scores like twenty some points in the fourth quarter, and they finally realized that they needed to get a better team around him, right? And and the guys that were there needed to step up and and it was. They were going to have to perform or they're going to feel the wrath of Michael Jordan, which I'm sure we're going to see even more in these following episodes. I know this is just the beginning. So they end up making some moves. And I just want to say for as much shit as I'm going to give Kraus and Reinsdorf, Krauss built a hell of a team around Jordan. I just can't fathom why they would ever want to have blown that team up at the end after all the money they were making anyway. But let's go back. Let's go back. We got to go back. I mean, because go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead
0: i was just gonna say look at that melon farmer man you could just look at him and completely size him up in less than a half a second you know everything you need to know about that man simply by looking at him i I think it's it it sucks because you i guess you have to have a villain and frankly he wore it and wore the hat well but it it, you do have to give him credit because he did put that team together so i mean he does deserve some credit along those lines now why would you want to we rail the gravy train strictly based on ego I don't know and I think I don't like Reinsdorf either trying to kind of be like my name's Paul and that shit's between y'all like dude it's your team you know ultimately it's your say you the one that hired the melon farmer didn't nobody like if you wanted it to keep going all you had to do was get rid of him and everybody would have came back
1: very true and I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about that as we get towards the I, I I mean that's going to be That's probably going to be the final discussion of this five-part series we're doing on the 10-part piece, Last Dance, um, the Chicago Bulls 98 season. I want to go back to the second season, I think it is now, and Jordan hurts his foot like third game of the season, right? He breaks the top of his foot, and it's a a spot where there's not a lot of blood flow, and it's kind of a bone that really – Transfers a lot of weight back and forth, especially if you're a basketball player. Like, that's kind of how the foot moves with the calf. And all that distribution back and forth, that's where the transfer is. It's the top of the foot. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I mean, the Achilles is there and everything else, but the brevity is on the top. So it's like he's out now, and it's a questionable injury. So we're coming back towards the end of the season, and they're awful, right? Right. They haven't won barely any games. It, but it's one of those years in the East where a team with maybe only 30 wins could even make the playoffs, right? So they have Jordan on a time restriction. He can play 14 minutes. He plays seven minutes a half. So they get going, and uh, they end up getting into a game where if they win, they're probably going to make the playoffs. And what does he do? He plays them like 14 minutes in a row, and he's got him up a ton of points. But then – there's 30 seconds left, and he has to pull him out, or he's going to get fired, right? Am I telling the story yeah. correctly? No,
0: you're, you're absolutely right. And I think Krause even came down from the, uh, the skybox to ensure that he didn't play Jordan or put Jordan back in the game.
1: Exactly. So Jordan is sitting on the bench. Well, luckily, at this time, the Bulls had acquired John Paxson, who would come to pay even more dividends down the road as one of the best three-point shooters probably in the history of basketball. So Paxton ends up getting in the lane and they're down one and he throws up kind of this, I don't know what, it was not much of a hook shot, but it was kind of like going up for a hook and turning for a jumper at the end over a hand in his face. And that goes in and they hang on and win by one. And then CP, I want you to take us through the next part because then they end up winning 30 games. They go 30 and 52 to make the playoffs Um, This was 86. They get the number one seed, Boston Celtics. All of a sudden, minutes restriction is lifted. It's game one in the garden. Jordan's been let loose.
0: And one thing that Jordan kept pointing to or alluding to is that they were trying maybe possibly to tank and not make the playoffs that season so they could get a higher draft pick, which... Probably that's the best move. I mean, you know, it's a team, barely won 30 games, barely made the playoffs as an AC. From an organizational standpoint, that probably would have been the best move to just shut him down for the entire season, rebuild and try to get a pick. But he goes head up, heads up against the Boston Celtics in 1986. And if you know anything about basketball, you know that the 86 Celtics... I don't even think it's arguable. They're one of the five greatest teams to ever play in the NBA. Like, they're that good. So there was no chance in hell that the Bulls were going to win, but the display that Jordan puts on. I mean, the first game, they get blown out, but he goes for 49. And then the next game, this is when the legend grew. Like, through leaps and bounds, the legend grew. Like, you you can still turn on any NBA channel today, and that move where he's crossing up Larry Bird, where he's just going through his legs and crosses up Larry Bird, then steps back and hits that fadeaway jumper. That's, yeah, that that's going to be shown forever.
1: You you say that, and it's funny because when I was watching the documentary this morning and that highlight came on from that game, I'm like, that's the highlight they show all the time. And I love it. <laughs> it's such a beautiful double <laughs> crossover where he he switches – Not only does he double crossover, but he switches the position of his foot being one being forward, one being back. All of a sudden, the other one's forward, the other one's back, and he just crossed again. It was so pretty.
0: It was, and he goes for 63 on that evening. And while they obviously didn't win the series because they were going up against one of the greatest teams ever assembled in NBA history, the legend of Jordan grew again that evening, or that series, rather. And it's funny because he talks about how he convinced the team to let him go back to North Carolina so he could take some classes and do some rehab. And next thing you know, he's out there playing full five on five with the team. It's amazing how not how it's just amazing how how things have changed because. I can't imagine anything like that happening today, especially with social media. You know, some dope would have put the Instagram up, you know what I mean, or put the little highlights on Twitter of Jordan in the gym crossing somebody up just to, you know, get some clout or something like that. So it's amazing to me that he was able to do that and the Bulls organization was none the wiser.
1: As we record, this is actually the, what, 34th anniversary. It actually happened on Sunday, April 20th, 1986. And I remember that day. Yes, I was not even five years old yet, but I remember that day. I remember being a Michael Jordan fan. And I remember my dad had a softball game that night. And we watched the game, and the Bulls lost. But we would always argue about who was the best player in the NBA. And I was like, Michael Jordan's the best. And my dad's like, Larry the Bird's the best. If it isn't Magic Johnson, I'm like, whatever, you're old. So <laughs> then I remember like we had to go, and the game wasn't over. It, you know, it went to overtime, didn't it?
0: I think it did. Yes, sir.
1: Yes, it did. We're listening to the game end in the car, and uh, I'm like, he's like, he's like, the Celtics won. They're still the best. And they ended up winning the championship that year. And I go, yeah, but Jordan's the best player in the NBA, 63. He's like, yeah, maybe.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly.
1: And what did Larry Bird say? God was disguised as Michael Jordan that day.
0: Yeah. Literally. Bad, I, think, farmer. I think yeah. that's
1: the exact quote. And Larry Bird was the MVP that season and they won the title that year.
0: And if I'm not mistaken, I think they lost two games at home
1: that whole season. Yeah, they were really good. I think they, they were, were dominant. They were 67 and 15. The Bucs were second that year in the East and they were 10 games behind them with 57 wins. So it was one of the 86 Celtics are one of the all time great teams. If you're going to pick. If you weren't going to pick a Bill Russell Celtics team to be an all-time great Celtics team, that's probably the other one you would pick would be the 86 Celtics because not only did they have Dennis Johnson, Danny Ainge, uh, a, a Larry Bird who could still move, uh, Kevin McHale who was in good – you know, Bird's back went out and, you know, putting in a driveway. I mean, shit, dude, how much money did you have? fucking have? Have someone put in the fucking driveway for you. That's a true story. <laughs> yeah, but – and, He's a and hick it, from Fritz Lake. What'd you expect? Well, yeah, I know. <laughs> his feud with <laughs> his feud with Woody Harrelson on Cheers is awesome. If you ever get a chance, <laughs> go back and watch the episode where Kevin McHale is on. It's unbelievable. So, you know, and Robert Parrish, who's a Hall of Fame center. And then you had Bill Walton off the bench who could still move at the time. Like, And in that game, Bill Walton ended up yelling at Danny Ainge because he had to guard him. And what's funny is the day before... In between games one and two, Danny Ainge and Michael Jordan went and played golf, Chris.
0: So I don't want to hear anybody say anything about today's players and how they're too chummy and they're too friendly. I don't want to hear any of that.
1: So Danny Ainge The
0: GOAT himself. Yes.
1: Yeah, go ahead.
0: The GOAT himself was out playing golf the day before a playoff game against the guy that was going to be guarding him that next day in the playoff game. So I don't want to hear anything about these new players, all right
1: here's what's funny though, and they always I always heard that like Jordan and Lawrence Taylor were kind of the same in the fact that if they didn't like you i mean it, no no if if they didn't have a reason to not like you or a reason to get extra motivated to play you, they made one up and Maybe Jordan let Danny Ainge win that day because Ainge won and said, yeah, I took some money from him that day, but maybe that wasn't the best thing. And he smiled and laughed and they cut to Jordan putting up 63. So maybe Jordan purposely lost that day to piss himself off and give him some extra motivation. Like you say, that's the kind of crazy Michael Jordan was.
0: (laughs) He was also a shitty golfer, so I don't know if he let anybody do anything, but it it sure didn't work to Danny Ainge's benefit. We can say that.
1: Is that why he was such good friends with Charles Barkley? So he'd have always someone to beat on the golf course? <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's a good point. Touche. Plus, Charles is probably the only dude that could match him or almost match him dollar for dollar and not worry about going broke. Yeah. Antoine Walker.
1: Like, oh, yeah. Charles was smart enough to get that sponsorship money that lasts a while. <laughs> You know, it's funny, man,
0: because you said you grew up a Jordan fan and being from Cleveland, I I couldn't stand Jordan because, you know, most of his best moments and best games came against the Cavs. And I mean, we had really good teams in the 90s. I recall Magic Johnson saying that the Cavs were going to be the team of the 90s and we were really good. We just could not get past Michael Jordan. So I didn't even like Mike until he came back off his suspension. Excuse me. I mean, his um, retirement hiatus the second time. I agree you know, with he came you. Back with
1: his, the, yeah. I agree with you that it was a suspension for gambling. Yes. Oh yeah. No, no question. I think he was betting on the Bulls. Really? I think well, no one ever no one ever talks about this, really. And I don't ever ever heard anybody say, it, and no one really knows. And this is why it's no really point to talk about it because you're never going to hear anything. But my theory always was that. So he was betting on himself. So so what? If you could prove that he was only betting on that- himself, who gives a shit? And don't fucking do it again. See you later. Go play baseball. What am I going to do? Go play baseball, or 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 we're going to just or we're going to tell everybody what's going on, because it was like literally eighteen months later he came back.
0: Yeah, that made that actually makes sense because uh, I, I I you know I know he was suspended for gambling, but that makes sense. Because I mean, if he's just losing a bunch of money to some mobs playing golf or something like that, yeah, who cares? That's his money. He can do what he wants to do. But that makes sense. on the the Pete Rose side of the game. And like you said, 18 months later, he's back. And and Reinsdorf's not going to let the gravy train stop. So, of course, yeah, go play for my uh, Chicago White Sox affiliate so I can keep making money. Hell, that 23 in Birmingham is still the highest-selling jersey they have to this day. So,
1: yeah. It's great that, we, that we're hitting. I feel like we're hitting on stuff now, and it's, and it's topical, and we're kind of you know pulling all the strings and, and connecting the dots here as we talk about the first couple episodes. But I think it's great because I think we're going to get the back story to a lot of the things that we are connecting already because we know so much. Um, let's go back. The Bulls get swept in that series. Jordan scores 49, like you said, and then 63 in the second game. I don't know what he had in the third game. I know they got swept. As well, they should have. They were a 30-win team against probably one of the greatest teams of all time. So that just shows you how good that Boston Celtics team was. Jordan scores, what, 112 points in two games, and they get swept anyway? And that just shows you how much help he needed. He needed somebody. Nobody can literally do it by themselves. But with a solid cast, Michael Jordan is going to go on to prove that a 6'6 guy, not a 7-foot guy, can carry you to not just one but multiple titles so what do they do they trade up with the supersonics they let the sonics make the pick and they it was already a deal in place and this is one of Krause's brilliant moves but let's talk about scotty pippen scotty pippen
0: the absolute perfect compliment to michael jordan six seven guy long lanky athletic defend multiple positions Uh, Could handle the ball, could rebound, could score. I mean, he was the absolute perfect complement to Michael Jordan. And I'm sure they had clashes backstage, but the ego never got in the way. It never turned into a uh, Paul and John situation, you know what I mean, where everybody was clashing to be the top. They had a clear design pecking order, and Pippen was happy to play that number two role to Jordan. So that says a lot about him. And it also says a lot about Jordan that he literally said out of his own mouth in this documentary, When you mention Michael Jordan, you also have to mention Scottie Pippen. I mean, they were they were perfect compliments for each other. And again, shout out to Krause. You pulled this guy literally out of obscurity. And Scottie's uh, story is a little interesting too because he's you know a little southern boy like Mike is. Twelve kids. I didn't know that he's one of twelve kids. Was the equipment manager at Central Arkansas finally begs and begs and finessed him his way into a scholarship onto the team. And then he has a growth spurt when he's in college. So he goes from about six, one to what? Six, five, six, six, seemingly overnight. And then he's now he's off to the races.
1: Yeah. You, you know, you mentioned the family situation and while they both had, uh, great family situations where it was a loving, encouraging, supporting family, I thought maybe Scotty didn't have it as nice as Mike did growing up. Whereas in, I think it was before he went to college and then after he was in college, his father ended up having a stroke and was in a wheelchair. And then it also happened to his brother fell or something. Or no, his brother was in school and got in a fight and was paralyzed from like somebody giving him a wrestling move. I think that's what it was. So Scotty had... Things he needed to make sure were taken care of at home, right? Mike didn't have any of those things to think about. Mike had a brother, I think his brother Larry, he said, if he didn't, his brother Larry is as much to credit as anybody else in his life for his success, right? And now, while Scotty, I'm sure, had a very supportive family and his brothers and sisters and mom and dad, you know, loved him and and supported him every way he could, he had some heavier things weighing on his mind.
0: Oh, no, that's a good way of putting that, man. Whereas Michael Jordan, I think his background, both his parents were professionals. He was probably more working class, maybe even middle class. And you this know, isn't... Scottie, they, he's-
1: yeah, I'm sorry. And I, This just came to my mind. This is not a slight. This is just the difference between their families. Scotty was worried about getting to the next level to make the money to support the family. And Jordan in college was... Sending letters home to get with his account in it to get some money put in it and send me some stamps, too. Right. That's the difference in their families. And that's not a slight on one or the other. But those are the differences in their situation.
0: It was. And I mean, but it's it's very important to bring that up because it shows the motivations to each party and the way that they tried to frame it in the document and I'm not going to bury Scottie Pippen too much, but the way that they tried to frame it when he eventually signed that horrible contract was that he felt like that's something he had to do in order to support his family. I think personally, Scotty just got got, but okay. You want to, I, I get it. I understand. In
1: 1991, Scottie Pippen signed a seven year, $18 million contract. I believe that is maybe slightly above the league minimum now, But don't do that to yourself and compare that because with what just happened recently where the wages skyrocketed a few years ago for for the players and not undeservedly uh, is the main difference. But it was bad because there was a big uptick in money happening for the players like two, three years after that. And that's because Jordan took off and won championships and the NBA made more money and the players made more money. Jordan very much Tiger woods the salaries for the NBA players, right? That's when it started to happen. While while Larry and and Magic are the cornerstones of the NBA actually being the NBA and actually making money and actually being seen on television, like the NBA before Magic and, and Larry was not the NBA you know now. Games weren't live. They were tape delayed, and they were shown at like 11 p.m. at night on a Saturday, right? The NBA was not popular. But through Magic and Larry and then into Jordan doing that, yeah, Scotty, he kind of screwed himself in solidifying it. But he ended up getting a little money from Houston, I believe, down the road.
0: He did. It it came full circle. And that's another thing that I have to take Reinsdorf to task on again because he's in the documentary trying to play dumb. It was a horrible deal to sign. Again, man, you're the owner. Yeah, come on, man. You're the owner. If you, if you wanted to make good, you could have made good. You know, you know you fleeced that poor country boy. Y'all know what it is. Don't try to act all innocent now and put it all on the dead man.
1: Yeah, he was 122nd in the league going – he was 122nd highest paid player in the league going into that final season, the last dance season, 97-98. And that's laughable because let's play this game real quick with Scotty Pippen before we go back to him coming out of college and going to the NBA. Scottie Pippen, you agree that he is the one of the top fifty NBA players of all time? Oh, most definitely. Is Scotty Pippen a top forty NBA player of all time? Yeah, I'll give him that. Is Scotty Pippen a top thirty NBA player of all time?
0: I'll give him that.
1: Is Scotty Pippen a top twenty NBA player of all time?
0: I'll give him that. That's where I stop. Top twenty.
1: Top fifteen?
0: You can make an argument. I wouldn't go top 15, but you can certainly make an argument.
1: So you're saying a good range for Scottie Pippen is between 15 and 25 all the time? That's pretty good, Tony, yes. That's where I was at. That's hilarious. All right, here we go. (laughs) I just wanted to see where you thought. I mean, I think that's a fun way to put it. I mean, you think about these guys. You can go ahead and actually sit down and make your list, and the top five is going to be pretty much the same for almost everybody it, it rot- rotating maybe six or seven people but think about guys like Scottie Pippen etc cetera, etc like Carl Malone or a John Stockton or a Tim Duncan or wh- where would you put them all time right think about that when you think about all-time NBA players so Scottie Pippen comes into the Bulls and right away like it's like Jordan they know he's a great player right away and Jordan knows that this guy is going to help him out we talk about the contract later on but Scotty comes in and they start winning more games, et cetera, et cetera. And now people are actually recognizing that he's this good of a ball player. And it's funny because it's almost the evolution to me, and I, I, this is the kind of the, the question I wanted to ask you. It was the start of the evolution of not needing a dominant big man, where it wasn't quite three point time yet, all day, every day, right? It was where, hey, I got the two best wings in the game. That's literally what they did. They went out and got the two best wing players in the game. And they beat everybody.
0: That's funny. You you talk about evolution. When you look back and think about Scottie Pippen's game, again, six, seven, long arms, was really the primary ball handler on that Bulls team. He, he was, was a point the point guard. You know, led the league. Yeah, he was the point guard. Led the team in assists. He could rebound. He could pass it. He could shoot it a little bit. That skill set and that versatility from a guy that size, you can say that that begots like a Penny Hardaway, which begot kind of a Grant Hill. And you can draw a straight line from Scottie Pippen all the way up to LeBron James. Folks, the Talking numbers... about evolution.
1: Yeah, the numbers that Grant Hill put up in the NBA when he was healthy and having really good, uh, a few really good seasons, if Scottie Pippen was introduced into the league how Grant Hill was without a dominant player like that but a solid, decent team around him... Scottie Pippen would have put up better numbers in a situation like that than Grant Hill did. Scottie Pippen was better. Scottie Pippen was a lot better. I don't want to say a lot, but he was more than a more than a notch above Grant Hill at each of their bests. That's how I can best display my respect for Scottie Pippen.
0: That that's fair. uh I'm, I'm, it's Grant is one of the the great what ifs because he started having those injuries and it was pretty much down, downhill after that. That's a great what if. But I think it also needs to be said that Jordan did see something in Pippen, but as a result of seeing something in Pippen, he rode his ass like Secretariat, and Scotty became a diamond from a lump of coal under that pressure.
1: Well, they said that- Not only did
0: it improve his game, yeah, not only did it improve his game, but it also made him mentally tough, tougher.
1: They used the phrase that Scotty endured Michael's glass furnace and came out- you know a stud and had a nasty streak to him because they show like folks scotty's dunks are pretty fucking amazing they're all like in-game dunks you know they show jordan highlight dunks and it's like breakaway no one around kind of stuff now granted jordan dunked on a lot of fucking people but if you want to compare anybody ever dunking on people scotty's got some fucking dunks bro
0: yeah, the 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 famous one is the one versus Ewing when oh. as Ewing's coming down, his eating his nuts, nuts go into Ewing's <laughs> face. <Yeah.
1: laughs> oh man, I guess Scotty's nuts are for public consumption. Pop. <laughs> well, call back the sure pot is more. There you those. go.
0: Check that out, please. Thank you. Thank you, please. And I think they're probably going to get to this later on in one of the other episodes as well, is that was one of the tensions with Tony Kukoc when he first came over, was that he was getting paid more money than Scottie Pippen, and he had never even stepped foot on an NBA court, and... He hadn't proven himself to the degree that Scotty did. Because I remember that summer when they played, I think uh, Kukoc played for Croatia in the Olympics. And I remember when they played, when the Dream Team played Croatia, they gave Kukoc the business, meaning Pippen and Jordan. Like, hey, welcome to the league, kid. So that was, uh, and I'm sure we're going to get to that. And it's funny because I haven't seen any clips of Tony Kukoc being interviewed yet. So that, that would be interesting to kind of hear his, his side of things.
1: I think the way it's going to work is if you haven't watched it, We've already spoiled for the first two episodes, but you'll still enjoy it. Um, what they're doing is, I think, you know, episode one, they they interwove Jordan's beginning and entrance into the league. Jordan's kind of story it, with the Bulls into 98. And then the second one, they did Pippin the same way. And all the main characters are involved there. There's a lot of people that are interviewed, but... It's the stories about Jordan. The stories about Pippen the story's always about 98, but they flash back sometimes to kind of reference what's going on now. So I think the next episode is definitely Dennis Rodman episode three, and I'll bet the dollars to donuts episode four is going to be the Pistons. And that kind of correlates because Rodman beat the bulls up, man. He beat them up with lame beer and they won him championships. And next thing, you know, he's on the bulls uh, so many years later. And, That's kind of the story I think they're going to tell next. And that's a great story to tell. But we haven't made it to them being in the championship yet. We're kind of in those years that are preceding them going up against Detroit. I would believe that would be 89 and 90 when they won those championships. So I'm looking forward to that. That's for sure. I bet we'll get to coach as we see Jordan go off to baseball and Pippen take over the team (laughs) and things of that nature. But... We haven't made it to them making the championship the uh, first one yet against the Lakers. So I don't know. What else are you expecting from this series? Because I, I feel like that's kind of how the format's going to go.
0: I know. Well, what did you think about the way that they formatted it? Because I mean, obviously it's about that last season, that 97, 98 season, but the narrative jumps around a lot. Like, you know, we're, we're in 98. Then we go back to 88. Then we go back to 87. There's, there's a lot of jumping around. What did you think about that?
1: Well, I think kind of like I just said, I think they're doing it person by person, at least for the first few. I think, you know, you got Jordan and Pippen for the first two hours. You had Jordan and Pippen, right? Now next week we get Rodman, and then we probably get figuring out who's coming aboard after that against the Pistons, right? You probably talk about Horace Grand and, and Pax and Moore or B.J. Armstrong, whoever else they ended up picking up for that first run. To get into probably episodes five and six are going to be about the first P, right? Or maybe five is about Phil Jackson. Maybe they finally talk about Phil Jackson's story too. It's always yeah, I about. I think
0: he's got to get an episode.
1: Yeah. It's and o- I
0: think uh, ultimately they they've got to give Krause an episode as well.
1: Right. It's always about the 98 Bulls and it's always about Michael Jordan. Because that's what this whole thing is about. But it's kind of telling you the story of how things got put together. Who did what, when, where, and kind of along the way. They're giving you the chronological story woven in with the key characters that they're introducing one episode at a time.
0: I really wish we could have been able to do this with uh, Jerry Krause to get his you know, his side of everything and also David Stern, who we just recently lost. But there might be some David in there because he just got up out of here. Was it, was it this year that he passed or was it last year that he passed? But either way, he just very recently passed, so he might be in there some, somewhere.
1: I think they'll get clips from certain things he said that you might get some more sound of him from that actual season, right. Or any of those seasons, which he was around for all of them. So you might get some more time specific clips, Um, but yeah. And and you you don't think
0: they, they had an opportunity to sit down with him and, and chop it up with him, you know, in retrospect, like as they were doing
1: this. Oh, I don't know. When did they start doing it?
0: Uh, well, uh the rumor around the campfire is obviously the, the footage that they have from the 97-98 season, they've been sitting sitting on that for years. I actually I was listening to Bill Simmons uh, earlier today, and he talked about how when he started doing the 3030s for ESPN, he tried to put something together and, and do something with it, and it just it just didn't work out for you know various reasons. But the word around campfire is is that back in 2016, the summer of 2016, the day that Cleveland had its victory parade for LeBron winning the championships versus Golden State. That's the day that Jordan made a phone call and told somebody, "Hey, let's do something with this footage." And that's when the ball got rolling. I'm, I'm not saying. I'm just saying that's the word around the campfire.
1: <laughs> it's 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 believable I'm, and not believable. It's a fifty fifty thing. It's it's it, it makes sense and it also makes sense to make up. So
0: yeah, I, I don't know. But, I mean, this has been in the works for for quite a while now. I mean, they started doing the – we we started seeing trailers about this. Was it 18 or early 19? I I can't quite remember.
1: Christmas 2018, I believe.
0: Okay, yeah. So, yeah, this has been in in the works for a while. And kudos to ESPN for pushing it up because I think initially this was going to air in June after the finals, I presume. But kudos to them for pushing it up. Number one, I'm sure they're running out of content, but –
1: I'll give them kudos for pushing it up to when the playoffs would have started because they needed content. Yeah, you made a smart business decision. They could have fucking pushed it up even fucking oh, earlier yeah, if they either. wanted to. Well, I'm just saying, don't fucking thank them that much.
0: <laughs> you didn't enjoy the national cherry seed spitting co- competitions?
1: I don't enjoy the prices at the arenas. Let's start there, all right? I'm a fan. I still watch. <laughs> I just don't go as much. And, yeah, I had <laughs> season <laughs> tickets back in '01, one so don't tell me I never went.
0: Nice. Oh, that was a good team. What was that? That was the Glenn Robinson, uh, Ray Allen, Cassell years, right?
1: Yeah, we lost in six. We lost in six to the Sixers um, in the conference finals. And we were 2-0 against the Lakers that year.
0: Ooh, yeah, because you were going to beat that Laker team that year. The team that lost one game in the entire postseason. Okay, cool. Man, we had no big man.
1: We had plenty of big guys that could go in and hack a shack. We did. We had Irvin Johnson, we had Joel Prozabilla. Prozabilla played great against Shaq. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had a talented Ray Allen, you had Sam Cassell who was probably going to be the best player in the series, that alien looking motherfucker. Glenn Robinson was at his <laughs> Glenn Robinson was at his peak. Hitting jump shots, not turning the ball over, bringing it up the court, just kind of making blocks off the uh, off the ball. You had plenty of really good players That Tim Thomas was on that team. Ham?
0: I'm not doing this with you, Tony. I'm not doing this with you, Tony. I'm is not this, doing this with you, man. I thought this
1: series was about the 2001 Bucks.
0: <laughs> you are not going to sit up here and try to tell me because I love that team. I, I love Ray Allen. I love Sam Cassell. For my money, Glenn Scott Robinson, Williams. Robinson. Scott Williams.
1: Speak of the 98 Bulls or, or the Bulls team Scott Williams. Scott Williams is huge. Scott Williams got fucking suspended on a bullshit fucking call. And that's why we lost the next game. And then Robinson missed a fucking twelve foot jump shot in game five. Oh, dude, don't even. All right, just go ahead. Move, change the topic before this gets even worse. Yes,
0: yes, because we're gonna blame everything on Scott Williams. Okay, cool. Uh, so okay. No, it was up, the refs. It wasn't Scott leave.
1: Williams' fault. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, because that that was that was the deal breaker. That that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Mm-hmm. Scott Williams didn't get his ten minutes a game and four point just... five points and three rebounds. Okay, cool. Anywho, <laughs> so you, we we talked a little bit about some of the things that we may see coming up in this series or in this uh, documentary docu series, I guess we could call it. What is the one thing that you would say that you're most looking forward to them them covering?
1: I want to. I want to know what went why Jordan retired after the 98 season. He had already lost two seasons where he could win championships, right? Like does anybody does anybody that knows half a fucking lick of basketball in the NBA think that the Rockets would have won those two titles in 94 and 95 if Jordan would have been there? No, they would have won eight motherfucking titles in a row. It, it, barring injury, I, I will, let's start there. Bar serious Barring injury, right? But... Well, he
0: you know, quit because he, had, he didn't want to play for anybody other than Phil. Barring, but Phil could have went,
1: went somewhere else. They could have went somewhere else together. Was he still under contract? Was, it was, his con, was his contract up at the end of 98, or did he just retire to get out of the contract being run out?
0: No, that last those last two seasons. Remember, that's where they made good with Jordan, and I think they signed him the first year for like what twenty eight million, and then, and then that ninety eight year they signed him for like yeah,
1: trying okay, to okay, so he was on because
0: one- he was underpaid as well. Okay, so he yeah. was one year deal. He did the play. LeBron.
1: So then they could have went anywhere they wanted. You tell me, anybody in the league would have taken them to? Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, shit.
0: but the structure. But the structure is very different uh, today, PC, than it was back then. Nobody's just setting aside $40 million worth of cap space to sign Michael Jordan. Like Teams weren't thinking like that back then. They somebody
1: somebody, weren't like that back somebody then. had to have it. They just won six out
0: of eight. And, and you know Michael Jordan's not about to go sign somewhere and play for $4 million to try to latch on to somebody else's team. That wasn't going to happen either.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to more of the debacle at the end. I understand that the looming strike probably played a part in it, but, I mean, it ended up being the Spurs and the Knicks that year. The Knicks finally got – the Knicks only made the finals when Jordan wasn't there. So there you go. How many titles Ewing could have won? He could have won in college. He probably would have had six more in the NBA. John Starks would be on billboards everywhere, that chipmunk-looking motherfucker. (laughs)
0: John Starks, man. God bless him. I love John Starks, but there were times he came up, as Stephen A. would say, short as mini-me in big moments. I think about that series versus Houston. You remember when he was like, what was it? He was three for 18. He didn't hit his first shot until the game was already over with like 30 seconds left.
1: And I'll give you, I'll give you the props. Houston was a really good team. I mean, back Cassell, even younger. Um, Kenny, Kenny the Jet, Hall of Famer. You had Mario Ellie. You had Robert Ory. You had Otis Thorpe. Malijuan, who else was on those teams? Clyde Drexler for the second one, I believe.
0: For the second one, yeah, uh huh. I mean, yeah, those teams were great. Rudy Tomjanovich, great coach, R.I.P. Um, I would have loved to see those two teams play because that was the that was the one thing that they never really played in the finals. I mean, yeah, Ewing, but Ewing was more of a jump shooter as opposed to a back to the back classic center. That was the one thing that they never faced in the finals. So that would have been interesting to see how what they could have done against Akeem, who was out of his mind those two years.
1: He he was. You got to remember had,
0: how you remember how good he was those two years, man.
1: Hakeem Olajuwon is probably the most underrated center of all time in being one of the top five or six centers of all time. I mean, that guy was unfucking fucking believable, and he was six nine, maybe. Oh, don't forget Vernon Maxwell. Don't forget Mad Max, Vernon Maxwell. Ah.
0: Uh... And that's another one. That's a Mellon Farmer crazy as Jordan's ass. So that would have been interesting for seven games, too, because he's just as crazy as Mike. They would have been fighting in the parking lot and shit. (laughs) Which you could do that back then. You could throw some blows, and you just maybe get teed up. You're not going to be suspended for 86 games.
1: Yeah, man. Like you would today. uh, You know, I never really thought about the fact that we missed out on Houston and Chicago series in those years. I mean, that... Those matchups could have been epic. That's a team that could have possibly beaten the Bulls. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree 100%. Wow. You just blew my mind.
0: <laughs> it did make me long for the good old days, man. Like, you remember when Robert Parrish broke Bill Lameyer's jaw and they just went down to the other side of the court and kept playing? You remember <laughs>
1: <Like> <laughs> It's funny because on my way to work this morning – I listened, I listened to a specific radio morning show since high school, DP and I, the same one. And uh, they, they were talking about the last dance from last night. They had watched it. And they ended up talking about the next thing they're talking about is the Pistons and how everybody hates Bill Lambeer. And they're like, everybody hates Bill Lambeer so much that Robert Parrish once punched him twice and they didn't even shoot a free throw. <laughs> there was no call whatsoever. They <laughs> just went on with the game. That's exactly what you're talking about.
0: and I'm looking forward to that as well, because full disclosure, my favorite player of all time is Isaiah Thomas. So I was rocking with the bad boys back then. So uh, another reason I didn't like Jordan growing up.
1: It's funny because when you're that young, right. And let's just say Platt and I are, are around the age of 10 when the bulls start winning their championships. Let's just say that's around our age. So we were a little bit, you know, we were getting towards that double digit age, when the Pistons were winning the titles. And when you're that young, you're really just a fan of the team that's on all the time. For the most part, you're either a fan of the team that's winning or you're always a fan of the underdog. And if you're like that, you're probably like that your whole life. But I didn't mind the Pistons so much basically because it was kind of both. It was the team that was winning. And I was sick of the Lakers and the, and the, and the Celtics just because my dad was such a fan of Larry Bird and magic. Jo- my dad had the birds. I think he still has the John magic Johnsons, the Converse the purple and uh, gold ones. I remember I wore them once to. Uh, nice. I wore them once to uh, varsity basketball practice.
0: I'm sure that didn't go over very well.
1: No, it was just practice. Everybody loved it.
0: I'm talking about your dad.
1: <laughs> oh, I asked. I asked. I said, "Hey, can I wear these to practice?" Okay. Yeah, he thought it was a cool idea.
0: Fair enough.
1: There was Fair no track. Enough. There was no, actually. I wanted to. I wanted to wear them in a game, and he goes, 1st they're not going to let you." And two, there's no traction on them. I go, they look fine. And then I get out there for practice. I was sliding everywhere. They were horrible.
0: (laughs) And, you know, it's funny. You started your fandom a little bit before I did. Like, I would kind of watch basketball in the peripheral, but I didn't really sit down and actually start watching basketball for real, for real, till about – it was about uh, 88, 89. That was the – which, coincidentally enough, was the year that the Pistons won their first title versus the Lakers in the finals, which – probably blends in with my Isaiah fandom as well. Plus the fact that he's just a bad Mellon farmer. But yeah, so you started a little bit before me. I got there about 88, 89, and I've been
1: hooked ever since. Isaiah Thomas, easily one of the greatest point guards of all time. The things that that guy could do, I mean, mentally tough. He's a guy who had success with Bobby Knight as his coach, guy we talked about already, you know, um, a winner on every level. But that team was so good. They had the right coach and Chuck Daly. They had Joe Dumars. R. R. Uh, Joe, Joe Dumars is one of the greatest underrated players of all time. John Sally, Bill Ambeer, Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman actually scored points for them. Look it up, folks. Dennis Rodman averaged between 15 and 20 points a game for them. Um, and the guys off the bench. Me, my, Rick Vinnie, Mahorn. Yeah, Rick Mahorn. Michael
0: Wave, Johnson.
1: There you go. Uh, uh, James Budatrain-Edwards. I mean, they 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 had they had players
0: on that team. Vinny Johnson is basically this generation or that generation's answer to like a, a Jamal Crawford or a Lou Williams type Lou of player, Williams. a guy that's just in, yeah instant offense. Come off the point, come off the bench and give you thirty like it's nothing. He was the microwave because he heats up quick. Yeah. So I'm I'm looking forward to them talking about those Pistons teams and I'm always I'm also looking forward to uh, Dennis Rodman next week. I I I love Dennis Rodman. I'm a Dennis Rodman mark. I read his uh, autobiography when I was in 7th grade. That's how much I love Dennis Rodman.
1: Jordan, I just seen a commercial before we started and they showed a clip from next week and they're talking about Rodman and something about a break or something. I I don't know the complete context and I'm not going to get the wording right, but this is pretty darn close is talking about Rodman letting him leave and go on vacation or something because they had a two-day break and they had to be back in 48 hours or something he's like you let that motherfucker go to vac uh, go to vegas he ain't gonna be back in 48 hours
0: (laughs) (laughs) bob So that's going to be interesting because I, we've heard stories and, you know, I basically heard that he was just really quiet and unassuming, you know, during his time with the Bulls, the Pistons, too. But he just he didn't cause any waves. He showed up. He he did his job. And and that's what it was. I don't think he really had much of a relationship with uh, Michael or Scotty.
1: You know, to me, it feels like he behaved I say behaved and it's hard to say that, you know. The guy's got a lot going on in his head and yeah, did he do some things that regardless he shouldn't have done? Yes. But I think he had such a good support system in Detroit because Chuck Daly and I think guys like John Sally and Bill and Beer, like if you watch the thirty for thirty on the Pistons, it's really fucking good. And they talk a lot about Rodney. Yes, it is. And at that time I think he, he he just he was happy playing he was happy where he was playing basketball. He wasn't happy playing in San Antonio, 100%. But when he got to Chicago—
0: and he talked—I was going to say, I I didn't mean to cut you off, Teddy, but he talks about that in his book, as a matter of fact, about how much he hated his time in Chicago— or not Chicago, in uh, San Antonio, and he couldn't wait to get out of there. He didn't like David Robinson. He basically just buried the whole organization. But, I mean, he's another guy, too, though, that came from very uh, humble beginnings. I know he spent some time homeless, and and much like Pippen, he's a guy that hit a growth spurt later in life as well, and that's actually how he got into college. So there's a lot going on there, man, and he does also, in his book, talk about his love for Chuck Daly and how Chuck was basically like a, a father figure to him. So, yeah, when he left that structure of the Pistons, yeah, something did kind of change in his brain. But, I mean, everybody that knows Dennis loves Dennis. Like, you cannot not love Dennis. He's, at his core, he's a really good dude. Kim
1: Jong-un loves Dennis.
0: Everybody loves Dennis. Yeah, and Trump loves Dennis. I mean, hell, man, he brought peace between Korea and the United States. Man, he said he set up the peace summit. Like, what the hell? He's an international um, ambassador now. <laughs> Dennis Rodman that's where we at and and I thought that was going to be the strangest thing that's ever happened but who 2020 said hold my beer huh
1: (laughs) I I think the I think the most important thing we're going to find out about Dennis Rodman's success in Chicago is that you play with a guy like Jordan you you're gonna you're not you don't want to disappoint someone like that you know what you're getting into he, Dennis Rodman is a smart person. Dennis Rodman is a smart man. When Dennis Rodman signed with the Chicago Bulls, Dennis Rodman knew that Dennis Rodman was going to have to show up and play basketball, or it wasn't going. To, he wasn't going to get the money he signed for, because Jordan was not going to put up with his shit. Period. End of story. There's some people that can just make you fly right, and that's that's. I think that's what we're going to find out mainly. Uh, and the fact that he had a support system in Phil Jackson as well.
0: That's funny, man. Guess who's on my television right now?
1: I've got a ESPN on as well, dude. We got we got the same thing. Going oh, so you, here, you, I'm watching it right Chase, now. You saw him as well. <laughs> <Yep>. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Perfect. And Dennis. And we'll get to that. And you you touched on this, man. Dennis could really play. I mean, people just see him as the rebounding, you know, multicolored hair freak, but he could play. Dennis Rodman was no scrub, man. He could play basketball. He accepted that that role as defensive stopper and rebounder, which was very important. But, yeah, Dennis could play. Don't get it twisted. You know some of those Bulls games where there were blowouts and shit, and he would just start throwing up three-pointers and hitting them, and he's looking around like, oh, my God, what's going on? No, I know you can play, sir. I read your book. I know you averaged 30 and 15 in college, okay?
1: Dennis Rodman, next week. Right here on uh, Pot is War special, Last Dance, the story of Michael Jordan and the 1998 Chicago Bulls. Uh, I can't wait to get further into the story. I can't wait to hopefully see a lot of things that I didn't, haven't seen before, just audio, video, etc. Last thoughts overall on, on what we've seen and, and what's coming up here as, as we embark on this journey. I, I'm glad we decided to do this. Uh, this has been a very fun conversation.
0: Yeah, man, I've had a blast, man. I hope you guys had as much fun listening to us shoot the shit as we did doing this. Because, Tony, I always like talking basketball with you, man. We don't always agree in our basketball opinions, but I respect your opinion because you you know what the hell you're talking about. And, you know, so that's that's, that's what it is, man. So I appreciate that. And I'm glad they put this on. And I I can't wait to see parts three and four, man. I I really can't. And we're going to get into Dennis. And this is great. And it's great for us. We needed something because we're all missing anybody doing anything athletic right now. So this is this is great.
1: 100%. All right. Uh, before we get out of here, I, I'm going to let you know right now, you can find this series that we're doing, Pot is War special series on The Last Dance, Michael Jordan, and the 1998 Chicago Bulls. You can find that every week, Monday night, midnight, Um, 11 p.m central so that's midnight technically tuesday on the east coast but you know after raw monday midnight uh, 11 p.m central right there on the Chairshot.com tonight and the next four weeks as the series progresses it's always going to be myself and mr platt hopefully we can get some other people on here and talk some more otherwise you know we're just going to continue to have a blast doing this I'm PC Tunney. You can follow me at PC Tunney. Go ahead and check out at Podcast DWI. Find both of us at Pod is War this week. We'll have some more fun with Andrew Snowfake-Blaz. Uh, Bandwagon Nerds, loving that show right now, going over uh, top 50 video games of all time. So that's always a pleasure. And check that show out. Uh, check out the show tomorrow. But then next week, we're going to have an actual uh, former Sony employee uh, from the uh, the video game division. Come on and, and talk oh, about wow. some of that stuff. Exactly. So check that out, Patrick O'Dowd, uh, Dave Unger, and DPP. Uh, that's what I got going on over here, Platt. It's been a pleasure. I can't wait till next week and uh, take us home, brother.
0: Hey, man, you guys can find me on Twitter at The Real C Platt. Also, every Monday on Facebook Live, Around the Blocks with Mike Knox. Also, go to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash D Chair Shop. Pick up an official Chair Shot t shirt, please, and thank you, thank you, and please. Uh, This has been an honor, privilege, and pleasure. I've enjoyed this. We're going to keep following it. If you haven't seen the documentary, please go out of your way to watch it. You have no excuse because you have nothing but time right now. So for the Commiss PC Tunney, I'm Mr. Velvet Pipes' Christopher Platt. We'll see you guys back here next week. Same Platt time, same Platt channel. Until then, go watch the shit.
1: TheChairShot.com.
0: Always use your
1: head.